Welcome back to Blood and Jazz, darlings. Have the shadows been good to you? I'm so glad you found your way back. Martine here, your ghost guide of the liminal spaces. I'm here to make sure you don't get hurt much. Well, hello. We are here with Elizabeth R. McClellan. How are you today? Very well. Thank you. Thank you so much for agreeing to do the podcast. Um, I really love your poetry. Uh, the ones that we've done for the Blood and Jazz podcast, Our Lady of Carbon Rags and Carbon Steel and Mother Kills the Gun. It was thrilling even to read them. To oh, read I appreciate the that so much. Well, uh when did you know you were a poet? Like what, how did this evolve for you? I think I'm a poet um, for the very first time when I was very small, I was like six or seven. And um, I wrote a concrete poem for the first time. A concrete poem is a poem that has a defined uh, shape that looks like an object or an animal or something like that. And I had learned about them by reading them in a book. I was in advanced reading um, and I'd seen one for the first time. And so I went and wrote a poem about birds in the shape of a bird. And of course, like a lot of parents, you know, they get excited about anything you do. They put your, you know, stuff up on the fridge. But my mom printed that poem out and mailed it Aww. to my grandparents um, and printer paper back then was so expensive that like hardly anything went through the printer. Um, it was just not done because it was the old printer paper with the spool on the end and printers were so expensive. And like for mom to not only just like want it printed out, but to mail it to my grandparents was just like, oh, you're something special, kid. Um, so thanks, mom. Right. Yeah. <laughs> My mom still supports my poetry. She's like, I don't understand anything you write, but she thinks that it's great that I do it. So. <laughs> my mom is a scary cat and hates horror. And she's like, I love your work. I just won't ever read it. <laughs> so, yeah, same. My mom's like, I have no idea why you do what you do. Speaking of moms, uh, what inspired the Mother series? I mean, we have Mother Kills the Gun, and today's reading is going to be Mother Takes a Wife. Uh, do you have more coming? Um, I do have more coming, uh, and I also have some uh, other mother poems that are not in the mother, you know, titled sort of thing. Um, I have a poem about uh, mothers and children in the Bram Stoker final mythology um mother tales of love and terror i have a poem called past um which is based on uh t king uh, in large part on t kingfisher's uh wonderful book um nettle and bone um it i was just inspired by one of the characters in there there's nothing directly um but i did dedicate it to ursula vernon who writes as t kingfisher um she was very kind about the whole thing um and uh very excited about that 
Um, and really what started the mother, as in the mother blanks the blank or whatever series, it was your wonderful uh, evocative calls for submission. Um, I saw the, fir- the first one that I ever saw um, was the one for the um, the gun violence one. And when I started thinking about it, the concept that like first came to me was, you know, the, the Tulpa concept that you talked about on that yes. podcast. Um, you know, the idea of all these thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers being over again, creating sort of a thought form. Um, and while of course, you know, it's not just mothers who speak against gun violence, you know, we tend to see a lot of political organizing around mothers and motherhood, you know, mothers against drunk driving, you know, back in the day. And now, you know, a lot of the mothers have been the ones um, really facing down the gun violence thing. And so when I pictured that tulpa, of course, with, you know, your submission requirements, because I wrote it on spec for you, I was like, this is a vengeful mother um, who is going to birth a new world um, by any means necessary. <laughs> Um, and so that's where that came out. And it, I just liked it so well that I sort of, you know, kept playing with the concept. Um, I do a lot of stuff with mothers, I think, because I used to describe myself as a poet of the feminine monstrous. And that sort of changed more as my relationship to gender and other things have changed. Uh, but I still write a lot about mothers, um, not necessarily monstrous mothers in the sense of mothers who are bad. Um, but, you know. The, the idea of motherhood and the monstrous and the way those two things sort of go together. Yeah. Um, and the concept uh, of kind of blowing up the um, perfect mother ideal, because it's such a, it's, it's such a hard thing that, they, that we put on all of us about the perfect mother and having one or being one and to blow it up and have the monstrous mother. And, you know, I think that's, that's important to explore that with the gender roles that come along with it you know i think it is you know and we associate you know we've always associated uh, motherhood in particular um you know with some very primal things um you know uh mother's instinct and things like that um and i think a lot of times um traditionally we haven't wanted to dig into that because we sort of have this road reached out you know idea of mothers even though you know we will make reference to you know like you know, mama bears and things like that. Um, and uh, Stephen Graham Jones does that wonderfully in uh, My Heart is a Chainsaw, which I actually have some poems coming out um, that are based on how much I fell in love with My Heart is a Chainsaw. Um, but, uh, you know, the, there's a very primal thing to motherhood and primal things are not always nice and neat and pretty. Right. Um, you know, they're often very bloody and dark. Um, and so, you know, I've, I've dealt less with the whole, you know, I've, I've, I don't know. I've written some evil mothers. I've, I definitely uh, did a Rapunzel poem with, uh, you know, sort of an e- uh, Rapunzel defeating the evil witch and things like that. But, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot to, there's a lot to go to there. It's a well you can sort of go to over and over again. Um, and it doesn't have anything to do with my own relationship with my mother. I love my mother. She's a great mom. Um, but, you know, it's just it's so there for the taking. And I'm so much more interested in writing about people of marginalized genders um, that, you know, I don't necessarily work a lot with fathers. Um, it's not that I never have. It's just that I just don't tend to to not pivot to that. To. 
I just don't oh, tend to pivot to that. Yeah. Although there have there is a possibility, I think that Mother Tales of Love and Terror may have a companion father anthology. There's at least they've at least talked about it. If they do, I will absolutely try to write <laughs> something for that because Mother Tales of Love and Terror was just such fun to write. Um, but uh, it but it'll be something totally different than the poem that I put in there, which was very specifically about uh, gifts passed down between mothers and children. You know, sort of in the you know, the sixth sense sort of sense, you know, it'll, it'll go a totally different direction. If I go in a father sort of thing, there's not a father in that story, so it won't be a related work. All right. Uh, well, speaking of, and I'm totally taking notes of all the uh, books that you're mentioning. Cause I definitely want to read them too. Um, what are some of your favorite authors and poets that have kind of influenced your work over the years? I love this question and I hate this question because I always feel like I'm leaving people out uh, because there's just such a wealth of so many authors that I've been gracious and have been gracious enough to extend me just their friendship as well as their wonderful work. Um, you know, Tar um, and Max Gladstone, of course, are having their moment with this is how we lose the time war at the moment with everything that's been going on on Twitter. Um is a friend and a wonderful poet and a wonderful writer. Um, Valenti, always a friend and a poet, C.S.E. Cooney, um, the wonderful Brandon O'Brien, um, whose wonderful collection, um, Can You Sign My Tentacle, um, I think won <laughs> I the Elgin Award. What's, um, what's going and, on on Twitter um, with Gladstone and... Oh, I don't want to get too far off on it, um, but anybody giggle, uh, Google Bigolus Dickolus, um, some... Uh gun fan account who had their display name set as Bigolus Dickless like Wolfwood I think um, uh -huh. just wrote a really impassioned one tweet like you know go read this book that's how you lose the time more it's only 200 pages um, you don't look up anything about it just go buy it and it went viral um, and now this four year old wonderful poetic novella about war criminal space lesbian like got within the top three of Amazon's all books all over the English language site um, and so, you know, Amal is having a wonderful moment and Max, her co-writer, um, and Time War is just such a wonderful book. It's, a, it's so poetical and so lyrical. Um, and I love it just so much. And for, to have like all of these people reading it and to see a novella of any kind, but especially, you know, such a wonderful SF novella, um, with queer content, you know, get to number three, um, yes. only, only outpaced by, uh, the Legend of Zelda you know, newest release and a book about moms this close to. This close to Mother's Day. Yeah, that's that's amazing. I will definitely include how we lost the time war in the links. I've been I've been taking notes this whole time. This is how you lose the time war. It's is absolutely wonderful. Um, and I was mentioning also uh, Brian Thawara and uh, Akua Leslie Hope, both of whom um, have been honored by the Science Fiction Poetry Association. They're wonderful poets. Um, there are just so many. There's so much good going on in science fiction poetry right now. Um, and, you know, so many new voices, Ajang, and, uh, you know, just, just, just such a wealth of richness that anytime I give a list, I feel like I'm leaving people out um, <laughs> because I feel like I'm just surrounded by wonderful poets. Um, Jordan Shively, um, I love uh, what they're doing with um, their horror poetry. Um, right now, even though they don't submit much, um, they're uh, hottest singles on Twitter and um, tweet a lot of their short horror poetry out. Um, so there's just there's just so much good going on. Um, I took several classes with Buddy Wakefield um, in 
too, and again in 2023, and he's not a genre poet, um, but I did a lot of work on my manuscripts with him, and uh, he just remains a force, tour de force, spoken word poet, just absolutely full of um, just dynamite work, and so there's just there's just so much of a wealth. Um, oh, and I and, love you know, this last one, Buddy Wakefield, but this would be something that people who are also poets are going to be able to, if he's giving classes, look to. And like, this is such an amazing community uh, that you've built up for yourself. That's- it really is. I've been yeah. very lucky. Um, I've been, I've been incredibly lucky uh, to sort of come into things the way they did and to meet all these wonderful people. And a lot of the people that I talked about aren't necessarily writing poetry anymore because now they've blown up big with their novels. Um, and it's just, you know, it, there's not a lot of it. Catherine Valenti wrote one of her first poems in like 10 years um, on her Patreon um, as a Patreon reward um, recently. And it was a sequel and recently it was last year, but time is a flat circle in the pandemic. Um, and it was a <laughs> sequel to um, a poem called the melancholy of Mecca girl, which is just one of my favorites. And she wrote Mecca, uh, uh, sort of years later, Mecca girl, and uh, it got nominated for the Risling award. Um, so it's in last year's Risling anthology, not the current one. Um, but it's so good. Just so good. Just, oh, just hit the target every single time. Um, and you know, so I just feel like I'm always bathing in a wealth of just wonderful words, um, and wonderful artists and they're all so supportive and, you know, we all sort of cheer each other on poetry is so small, you know, can be such a small community in some ways and yet such a huge community and, you know, it's sort of the little corner that nobody cares about, you know, it doesn't get a lot, you know, of attention, you know, outside, you know, some more formalist, you know, stuff that, you know, sort of happens in the academic. Um, but, you know, spec poets, especially, you know, have each other's back are always supportive. And, you know, that's been a really wonderful place to be because that's really where I started and where my heart is. That's awesome. What draws you to horror? I just love horror. Um, I love speculative anything. I love science fiction. I love fantasy. I love horror. Um, and uh, horror poetry is, you know, so fun because part of the fun of poetry um, is that, you know, a lot of my poetry is very narrative in that, it you know, it has a story with a beginning, a middle and an end. And, you know, you get to hint, you get to hint around um, and it's sort of like the movie tradition of, you know, not showing the monster or only showing little bits of the monster. Mm. Um, you know, I like to leave little avenues where your brain sort of can hang out and imagines the worst things instead of, you know, being very didactic and sort of pounding it into your head. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, going back to, to families and, and, and Mother's Day, um, when I was a kid, I'm a huge Freddy cat. That's the thing. I'd hardly ever watch horror movies because the <laughs> visual stuff tends to stick in my brain. Uh, but my sister's five years older than me. And, um, you know, it, it's just her and me. We're the only two. And uh, she, the thing is, she is also a huge. Um, so her method to watch popular horror movies that she wanted to watch, was she would tease me about being a baby um, until I agreed to stay up and watch them with her. And then we would both get scared, but she could tease me about being a baby, and that made her feel better about the whole thing. So uh, Brian De Palma's Carrie for the first time. Um, I Ooh. watched the It miniseries when it originally aired, the Tim Curry. Um, yeah. You know, so much of that stuff I saw with my sister. 
um, and uh, it just, you know, get delightfully scared and not sleep. Um, you know, and then with my friends yeah. in high school, um, you know, we uh, when we went on our senior vacation, uh, you know, our senior, we didn't go on our senior trip with the rest of the class. We went um, to uh, with uh, her family down to South Carolina and we just rented a bunch of like horror movies and practice for our test tournament because we were such huge nerds. Um, and uh, awesome. <laughs> and one of the things that's so fun about horror, I think, is, you know, it's like jazz. It's the notes you don't play. Um, you know, it's yes. with horror poetry, especially, like I said, you know, you leave these spaces of sort of horrible imagination. You like, you don't, you, you know, you let people's imagination fill in the blanks. And a lot of times that's, that was the great thing, you know, about horror movies, you know, is you're letting people's imaginations, you know, just sort of do the sort of horrible calculations of what might be happening there. Um, and right. that's what you know, terrifies you, what terrifies us is so deeply personal. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the reasons I love horror novels now is that I read them and absolutely scare the junk out of myself. <laughs> uh, but you know, I don't have a very visual imagination. Um, I'm one of those people that can't picture an apple like all the way. I just can't do it. Um, and so the wonderful thing about the horror novel is that will actually, you know, give me the screaming creeps, but my brain doesn't visualize the scary stuff. And so like, there's that natural stop sort of built into that way. So I'm listening to the most horrible things and it's scary and it's terrifying and I'm so scared, but when I need to go to sleep, I can do it. Um, you know, what it is for, I listen to a lot of horror audio books. Um, and what it a lot of times is, is the voices, uh, middle game by Sean and McGuire isn't a horror novel, but some of the characters in there are definitely horrifying and they got such a good audiobook reader. I can't remember her name. I apologize. I'll have to look it up. Um, but one of the characters in there is just an absolute like monster, like built in a lab monster. Um, and the voice for her when she's angry, has woken like that's a book that I cannot fall asleep listening to like even like just you know doze off because when that character starts talking I will get up out of a dead sleep just scared to death oh, wow. um, whereas some horror novels are like my comfort novels I fall asleep listening to them um, you know and it, it it ranges from like you know the Stephen Graham Jones stuff which is a lot of like a the, sort of a love note to to slasher movies a lot of which I didn't see um, both because I was kind of sheltered and because I'd already figured out that you know things that are very you know visually arresting sort of scare me really bad and keep me from sleeping um, to like Catherine Valenti's Comfort Me with Apples which I'm not going to tell you anything about because everything is a spoiler it's a two hour long novella um, and it is absolutely horrifying and great Comfort everybody me with can read apples? it Comfort Me with Apples. Um, it's a okay. two-hour-long audiobook, and I suggest that if people are able to process audiobook, do it that way. But I can't tell you why, um, because it ties into the reason why everything about this book is a spoiler, because it's so short. But if you can listen to it in audio, um, it will keep you figuring out a spoiler thing a little longer than you would if you were reading it on the page. There are going to be so many links on this. Um, so many links. So I just want to talk about everybody else. <laughs> What's next for you? What's next for me? Um, well, very soon, um, the Salt Sand Blood anthology is going to come out. Um, I have one of the poems that I mentioned that's based on My Heart is a Chainsaw is going to be in that. I'm very excited about it. I think it's a really good work. Um, 
available now is my poem uh, about Renfield in Dracula Beyond Stoker's Renfield themed issue, um, which is filthy and queer and wonderful. Um, and I'm really excited about it. Um, and uh, then I am going to be launching within the next six months um, an Indiegogo to do a Greek underworld themed chat book, um, which is mostly about the Arrhenes, also known as the Furies, um, and also Persephone, uh, Orpheus, and Eurydice. Um, S.J. Tucker is co-writing the epic about Orpheus and Eurydice. Um, she is doing the voice of Orpheus because musician and I realized I needed a musician to write that part because it was just falling flat because that's not where my skill let, set lies. Uh, Brandon O'Brien is editing that project. Abra Margariti, um, who is a wonderful Greek poet, is doing the sensitivity reads, um, you know, on it for the Greek content and has provided so much wonderful stuff. And Jordan Shively um, is doing sort of the nuts and bolts with the Indiegogo. You're doing some broadsheets with an artist? Yeah, okay, with a couple like of artists, you? but one of them is um, one of them is for Mother Kills the Gun, and the contracts are designed on that. It's with Enoch Duncan, who goes by Odd Oblivion um, on uh, on Twitter, um, and uh, he did the gun that I just commissioned because I'm self-obsessed and because I really liked the idea for that. Um, and Enoch is a horror artist and opens up commissions quite frequently. Um, so there's going to be several broadsheets for that. Some of them are going to be Enoch. Some of them are going to be other people. Um, you know, I don't have contracts nailed down for everything, but there's a fun teaser. You know, that's a good reason to follow me on Patreon or follow me on Twitter and keep up with what's going on with all that. And of course, I'll let you know so you can let folks know, um, you course. know, through the... Yeah. Uh, girls uh club you know mailing lists and stuff um i'm also going to be opening up more of my time for writing instruction in terms of you know writing critiques you know helping people with their work um reading their collections reading their individual poems uh, sort of teaching classes on uh you know how to market yourself as a poet uh one of the things that i learned from starting out in genre poetry is not to get into the pay-to-play game for poetry um, I right. pretty much don't write poems um, for any market that does not pay um, unless occasionally for a charity market that, you know, is only doing anthologies um, like and contributor copies. But generally speaking, you have to pay me. Um, that's something that's very important. And I see so many of yeah. my friends, you know, get discouraged um, because they're throwing money into these contests, you know, and they're never going to get in because, you know, hundreds of people are paying, you know, their ten dollars and hoping for a chance. Um, and, you know, in speculative poetry, because speculative fiction has always tended to be like that. It's like, do not pay to play. The money should flow to the writer. You may only get token payment, but you should get something. Right. Um, and so I'm all very much about that. Um, and I want to explain to people, you know, I don't make a lot on it. It's definitely a hobby business. But, you know, almost every year I show a profit. Um, this is the first year I'm not going to show a profit because I invested some money into writing workshops and other things uh, to get ready for this collection. So this is the first year I have a business loss. Um, but, you know, I've always claimed my poetry money. I'm proud of it. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I want to share. It's important for writers to know that, too, to claim it and to see it as part of your industry, that you're that you're being industrious, that you're writing, that you're participating. I think that's an excellent point. Right. You know. And, uh, you know, and financially, you know, of course, I'm not a tax advisor. You know, you need to talk to your own people about whether, you know, claiming that. You know, um, in taxes. Um, but, um, you know, a lot of the poets that I've met, you know, through Buddy Wakefield's All the Lovers Left Alive, uh, you know, 
um, open mic um, and other things like that, you know, they're actually interested you know, with all of your submissions. What do you do? You know, how do you find paying markets? You know, how do you do these things? Um, so I feel like after more than 10 years, I have all this information to share. Um, and now that I'm going to have more time, um, you know, I am going to be, you know, running little classes and doing things like that, little workshops. Um, and so, you know, I'm interested in what people want to see. So, you know, definitely get in contact with me um, through the contact methods that I'm going to list. Um, if anybody on my poetry feels like they want me to look at something, you know, we can negotiate about price um, in terms of time for critique. Um, but I'm open and I have a lot more time to do that. And it's something that I'm excited to do. I will definitely put uh, contact information. Um, description of the video and I, if you have a class I, I definitely would be interested in it too uh, I'm thinking you know, we're going to have one together by maybe mid-June it's going to take me just a little while um, to get things totally in order uh, right. like I said I'm starting a new job and so things have just sort of been disrupted but I think probably by mid-June I'm going to have something um, put together um, you know even if it's just a small one you know sort of as a you know, sort of test run, um, you know, right. and then I may start doing a regular sort of office hours kind of thing. You know, I don't know. I'm open. I'm yeah. open to possibilities. I'm willing to let the folks. Yeah. I'm willing to let folks needs, you know, what do you want to know from me? I'm willing to share. Um, That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for calling in and sharing all this. I know everybody's going to really love meeting the person behind the poem um i always appreciate you know hearing from other people so it's fun to sort of be that person that you know some little me you know in my little poems you know people want to know um and thank you you know and for uh supporting the mother poems and the things that i'm i'm working on i i love them i really I appreciate your art um, I appreciate that. And so, again, I'm Elizabeth R. McClellan. Um, you can find me on Twitter until it implodes. If I migrate anywhere else, it'll probably be at Pope Elizabeth because it's been at Pope Elizabeth everywhere. Um, the only place I'm not that is on Patreon where I'm E.R. McClellan. And uh, I will include both those links in the information for this um, episode. So be sure to yes. check that and all, all uh, most of the books that she mentioned, I was I was taking notes the whole time, and uh, yes, um, yeah. And people can always also just email me at popelizabeth at gmail .com. Open for writing and fandom stuff, um, and you know, uh, as I have, I'm going to put up a post by the end of the month that will be unlocked um, that has all of my out because I know I've missed a couple, um, and we'll also of course have the link this podcast when it comes out. Because I love your Patreon and I love yeah. we have been able to support each other because I just love blood yes. and jazz and the last girl. Thank you so much. I so you're so welcome. You. All right, have, have a great a weekend. Day. You too. Bye. Bye. Mother takes a wife by Elizabeth R. McClellan. Before the fear that comes in wild places, the elder night, older still. The primordial chthonic, Marianus dark, bright sunbeam through a lens aimed at a cockroach. Let the goat-legged burnout have the root word, paired with attack. The first heart's 
hammering in mammalian chests, thumped her praise. Ancient mother discordia, grand, gory, gleaming teeth in black water, firelight eyes glinting. Everything returns to entropy, her trade name. Dead star vortexes, her celestial choir. Blood rush of sudden doom, her crude flirtation. In love, she is unsubtle as antiquity, tumbling the unknown through your ventricles until your mouth tastes of vile, sour perfume. The secret teaching of the Hynopapes to those plagued by irrational fears. If you seek freedom, defy all human masters. Jackhammer through your ossified hurts. The queen of chaos waits there to take you as consort. The adrenaline and cortisol will pair dance her sacred tarantella. Your mind held in her lap in the gestational chair in the Vatican of your cerebral cortex. She will teach you stillness while hurling golden apples at all who harmed you. Come to her tornado eye throne. Love her true. Discord be your plaything. Disorder your domain. Mother's best beloved. Charming the quarks strange. Elizabeth R. McClellan is a disabled, genderqueer, demisexual poet, writing on unceded Quapaw and Chickasha Yaki land. They are a DV attorney working with immigrant survivors. Their work has appeared previously in Strange Horizons, Eternal Haunted Summer, Heroic Fantasy Quarterly, Chrome Baby, and others. They're on Twitter at Pope. Lizbeth. I hope you enjoyed our little interlude. Until next time, darlings, may the shadows embrace you and the monsters fear you more. <laughs>